you never want your lease finishing in late December, right? So a lot of a misconception is a lot of um, people think you have to do 12 month leases. You don't, you can do a 13 month lease, a 14 month lease to finish it in peak season. So is your property near a university? And when does the, when's this the most high demand time within that area? And let's make sure the lease finishes at that time. Um, let's make sure that the property is the most desirable for the tenants so we can, at the end of the day, so we can maximize your rental yield and find the best quality tenants. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dash Dot Insider, the auditory epicenter for property investors seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And you cannot be a property investor that unlocks freedom, choice, and abundance without having a solid property management team on your side. So it is with great joy and pleasure that I'm joined today by Jonathan Bell, the Managing Director, Founder of Housemark Property Management. Johnny, how are you? Good, Ghost. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. Um, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Property management is like the kind of like least sexy thing people think of when they think about property investing. They think about property investing and they're like, yeah, I'm going to buy all these houses. I'm going to have all this passive income. And property management is not really like high on the desirability agenda for, for people. <laughs> uh, so, of course, that's... That's the nicest thing you've said. To <laughs> well, let's, let's call it for what it is. But 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 like one of the craziest, like one of the craziest things that I see, like, and it's it's interesting because I see it in the US a lot more uh, than in Australia. But one of the craziest things I see is when individuals try and manage their own property portfolio. Like, it's, there is there are nine hundred reasons why that is probably the stupidest thing you could possibly do. So I, I I'm actually really interested to dig into this. But before we do, I want to kind of set this up with a bit of bit of a framing so people have got some context around you. Now, Housemark, the reason is that this is interesting to me, Housemark is a specialist property management company, which is very unusual because normally property management is a bolt-on to a real estate sales business. And I'm really interested to know a little bit about that background. Like, why did you start a specialist property management business? Yeah, well, for all the reasons that you've just said is um, property management has been treated like the lost cousin in the real estate industry um, for a long, long time. And typically, you've got this sales business that um, all they care about is the sales and all the revenue and all the money is spent in the sales department. And then in the back of the office, there's this property management team that don't get the care and love that they probably deserve. Um, And property management is such a vital part of a landlord's journey. And it really determines if they have a good experience with their investment property and it's a successful um, acquisition to to property investment and freedom versus having a nightmare of an experience. So for me, uh, it's really important. And, and sales and property management are so different. I always compare them to, to rugby and soccer. They require very different skill sets. Um, it's a very process-driven business and, and they're very different. So I wanted to treat them differently. Um, and I wanted to give property management the love that it deserved. So we focus purely on property management and we have since we started the business. Yeah, that's super interesting. And you have been, I mean, I i think maybe you can, but you have to have been one of the fastest growing property management companies in, in Australia. Like you, you, you started, uh, interestingly, you started about the same time that we started Dashdot. So we've been uh, on this journey um, in our own respective businesses for like almost the, an identical amount of time, which is really, really fascinating. We've been um, the you know the fastest growing company in our space, have, have, and I think you've been basically doing the same thing in property management. Is that right? Like, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Give us a sense of the scale, the size. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, well, March twenty nineteen, 
Um, it was the 9th of March, 2019 was my first ever property management. Um, and we've grown to 2,200 properties over the last four and a half years. Um, but importantly to note organically, so we haven't acquired the management. So a lot of agencies buy rent rolls and buy books. Ours has come organically, which means that owners have actually selected us and we haven't purchased their business. They've actually chose to come to us, um, which is a testament to our amazing team and, and the service levels that they provide. That's, re- that's really interesting. Why? Like, t- talk to me about why, because the, the interesting thing about this is that 100% of your clients are property investors, right? Because otherwise, why would they have property management, right? They're so you've got um, 25, I'm sure some of them have got multiple properties, but for the simplicity's sake, we'll say 2,200 property investors specifically chosen to work with you and your company outside of whatever, because typically when you buy a property, the, the selling agent will try and rope you into the, the property management and most people just go, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, So I'm interested to know like why, how have you been able to do that? Like sort of what's been the, I guess, the value proposition that has caused 2,200 property investors to say, yep, we want Housemark to manage our property. It's a really, um, it's a really good question, and and the tough thing for a owner when they're picking a property manager is it's like a lemons market, right? Every property management business says they're proactive. Every property management business says they have the lowest vacancy rates. Um, every business, like all 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 agencies, say the same thing about their points of difference. Um, and I think what we really do is every decision we make from a leadership and a corporate level is how can we get our landlords a better result and how can we provide them a better experience? So our whole vision is to provide our landlords the very best property management service, whereas the vision of a normal real estate agency is how do we grow our sales and how do we use our rent roll to feed our sales? So we have two completely different visions. So all of our strategy meetings are around how do we add value, how do we get better returns for our owners, whereas another agency's strategy sessions are around how do we get our um, prop- how do we get our landlords selling more properties, or how do we make sure we get them to sell in the next financial year? So very different strategies, and then that drives all of our service levels. It it attracts better quality staff because we we only attract people who want to be in property management, not people who want to be in property management to get into sales. Um, and we've built a really really good culture around service, and we only recruit people within our business who care about their landlords and getting our landlords the best results. Yeah, I was actually going to ask about the people in the business, and 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 I'll, I want to get onto um, more some more kind of tactical stuff in a in a minute, like that's going to benefit property investors directly. But but I'm just a curious cat, and I'm I'm interested to kind of dig into this a little bit because the the property management industry there's a, such a high turnover rate because what what I typically see is property managers, and you're, you're right, some are some are getting trying to get a foot in the door to get a pathway to sales, but most genuine property managers. Um, typically have a desire to help people. That's what I've found is they're, they're usually nurturers and they, they love processes and systems and love nurturing people. They actually really want to be able to develop the relationships and stuff. But typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of it is the reason that there's such a high turnover rate in the property management industry is because these people who are inherently loving by nature end up in these environments where they're unsupported and not actually facilitated with the tools to genuinely benefit their um their landlords and so they aren't able to like you know they get put in a position where they're not actually able to do the thing they really set out to do so they're just like right stuff this i'm, I'm out and i'm interested to well i don't know if you've got any sort of commentary around that any thoughts around that because i think my experience in business is the people are everything and i'd be really interested to to hear your sort of take on that ecosystem of things 
The average, so across Australia, the average tenure of a property manager at a business is nine months. Whoa. So nine, nine months is the average amount of time a property manager is within an agency, which is just crazy, right? Like it blows me away. They're unsupported. They're, un, they're underpaid. You know, for the job that they do, property managers are very, very underpaid for what they do. So we've in our model, we've built a model where our property managers are very well paid and, and paid well above market. Um, we support them really well. We create opportunities to give them incentives. So real estate, right? Every part of real estate except property management is incentive-based. So we've built a model where our property managers can actually earn more money based on the results they get for landlords. So we very much built a model where our, our property managers feel supported, but also have the opportunity to succeed within the industry. And it's not just a um, property manager job within a real estate agency. Yeah. So that's interesting. So they're incentivized to get better results for their landlords. Can you talk to me about that? Because I mean, you could very easily, uh, that you could incentivize them to, I don't know, like uh, make more profit for housemark, but ultimately deliver a shitter service. So how is it that they're incentivized to create better value for the investors? So based off, we've got a few different models, but ultimately based off arrears, um, based off what rent they can get their owners, the increase in rents from market value to exceeding market value. So, um, and then based off um, lease renewals, based off vacancies. So we've got a we've got a platform of ways to to be able to um, see what their performance is. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've been doing a lot of uh, study of. Um uh, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger just passed away recently, but he was really big on incentives. You know, he, he always would talk about um, the fact that you can uh, tell, you can you can forecast the future success of any company based on looking at their incentive plans. And if everyone's got aligned incentives, then all, it almost will just run itself. And so aligning the incentives of the property manager with the incentives of the investors is really, really smart because that means that everyone's rowing the same boat, the same direction at the same speed. So uh, I like that. I like that. So let's switch gears a little bit. So I want to kind of get into some of the um, more practical and tactical things. I want people to be able to learn from this episode and to walk away with some really um, practical advice. There are still a bunch of people out there who don't use property managers. So I'd love to know, like, what are some of the, um, in your experience, specializing in this area, what are some of the common mistakes that you've seen that people make when they do try and manage a property themselves? A lot. We get a lot of managements from people who, manage that themselves and then and then something's gone wrong and then they have to engage a property manager to fix it but um there's probably probably the way to look at it is your net return so what is your net return over the course of 12 months and if you look at your net return if you pay a property manager say $50 a week but they can help you increase your rents by $100 a week your net return is actually $50 more per week so instead of looking at how much a property manager's costing you should look at what the net return is based off the value that they can add. Um, there's so much legislation changes and there's so much going on, on in the property management industry to protect the tenant. Um, and the property manager is engaged by the landlord to protect the landlord. So it's really, it's, it's your, you know, you've got the RTA and you've got all these resources helping the tenant who's protecting you as an owner and making sure that you've got the right legislation and the right documentation in place to have you protected. Yeah. I think like legislation and stuff is probably not front of people's mind. It's a big issue, right? But but they're usually thinking about the cost. They're like, why would I pay somebody else to do something I can do myself, right? They're like, ah, these guys are just taking my rent money. You know, I get to go. Do, I can go do it myself. Which to me is just 
you know, it's interesting you're talking about net return, but if you're talking about net return, you have to factor in your hourly rate, right? And I, I've spoken to a lot of people about this as well, and they're like, you know, they've asked me, should I go and manage a property myself? I'm like, do you have a like a hidden secret desire to become a property manager? Like, is that is that your lifelong yearning? I know you're an accountant right now, but have you always dreamed of being a property manager? Is that the and the answer is almost inevitably no. I'm like, okay, so do you want? Would you would you want to go and get a job as a property manager? Well, no. Okay, cool. So because you've got to factor in your own hourly rate in that context as well, and how much time you're spending on it. And um, the other thing about this as well is that really kind of fucks people up, in my opinion is that if people assume that they need to manage their own property, because there's a big assumption around that, a lot of, by the way, it naturally means that you're um, restricting your capability to invest based on your ability to reach it geographically. I.e., you can only invest in your own backyard because you've got to be able to go there and do the stuff, which statistically speaking means that you're really unlikely to be getting the right property in the right place at the right time. You might, or at some point that area might be good, but it's kind of like, not only are you creating a second job for yourself, which probably doesn't pay you as well as it should, um, you're also then restricting your ability to get the best possible returns. Not to mention the fact that then, yeah, you've got all the legislation stuff, which most people don't think about until it's a problem and then they get themselves in massive hot water and it costs them tens of thousands of dollars down the line or some other, you know, bloody could face jail time depending on what it is if you haven't got the right stuff going on in there. So it's a, it's a really interesting uh, uh, context. And it's also in my, and I'd love to get your take on this as well. There are so many property investors that never get past the first property. 71% never pay, make it past the first property. And if you just imagine that someone's bought their very first investment property, and then they're like, right, I've got this property, which is already hard to get, hard to save up for, hard to, you know, it's, the first one's always the hardest. And then they're trying to manage it themselves. They're trying to vet tenants, find the right people, maybe get bad tenants. In fact, we had one of our team members on the show recently. He tried to manage his own, the first property and ended up, I think it was they were running a brothel out of there and it took them ages. It's a horror story. Uh, potentially get bad tenants, uh, potentially lose a bunch of rent, potentially get on the road. You can just imagine that if that's their first and only experience of buying an investment property, they're just going to go, this is this doesn't work. This is too hard. And as a result, they just go, fuck it, I'm never investing again. And, they get, and so they never actually achieve the goals that they always set out to do to achieve a life of freedom, choice and abundance all because they didn't take the easy path and outsource it. And I'd love to know um, your take on like that kind of practical. Have you seen people burning themselves out on that? Oh, 100%. Well, I don't really know any sophisticated property investors, even, you know, someone like you, Goose, like you have a property manager. No. Not a man. Like, so I think that, like, I don't think if you look at, you know, success leaves trails um, and there's not really anyone who is a sophisticated investor with multiple properties who doesn't use a property manager. So if you want to go on that journey, um, replicate what they're doing um, and find someone who can go on that journey with you. And it's such a small fee compared to how much rent you're getting. Like it's less than, you know, it's it's 6 to 8% of the weekly rent. Like it's not a massive amount of money, um, but the amount of, and, and I, I, I say it's similar to insurance. You wouldn't go buy a house and not go, not get landlord insurance or building insurance. Um, you know, property management sits in the same but the trick is, right, you say 6 to 8%, so for, for the benefit of everyone listening, uh, Jonathan specialises in southeast Queensland. There are some parts of Australia where it's bloody 10%, right, which is a little, uh, it, just get, it just gets up there a little bit. But uh, but nonetheless, like the, the, the positives only occur if you actually have a good property manager. Because if you get a shit property manager, it doesn't matter that you've got a property manager, they could also put in bad tenants, not know how to manage it. Like, so what are some of the key things that investors 
can and should look for when trying to select the right property manager for them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm biased. <laughs> so I'd say some, I'd say someone who has a big focus as a business on property management. So if they're a specialist, it's like going to a doctor. If you go to a GP versus going to a specialist, um, if, they, if they're specializing in property management, typically they're going to be more service orientated. So if you can get someone who specializes within your area, I think that that's something you should look at. But also it's really important to build a really good relationship with who's actually managing your property. So in an, in an agency, including ours, there's a BDM who you speak to. Once you've signed up with them, you then get passed to a property manager. I would strongly suggest um, if you're selecting one to ask to speak to the property manager who's managing the property. Ask them how long they've been. Ask them how long they've been in the business. Ask them how they handle a maintenance request. Um, ask them what their future plans are with their career, and actually speak to the person who's dealing with the tenants and the day-to-day operations of your property, rather than just being dazzled by the BDM who actually signs you up and then once you sign doesn't speak to you again. Such it's such a good point because the way to think about a property manager is they're part of your team. Right, and if you're building a business, which every investor is, right? Every like property, property investing, you, you've got a, you've got a business, and you should treat it like a business. And so, if you're effectively hiring a new team member, which is what you're doing when you're um, getting a property manager, you you want to meet them, you want to build a relationship with them, not treat them like you know a tool in the utility cupboard that you just hope that you never have to speak to. You know what I mean? And so, if you do that, if you take the time to meet them, talk to them, understand them, build a relationship. The net net benefit of that over time is going to be massive. Um, so I think that's a really good tip. I think it's a tip. I think it's actually something that most people don't do. Transparently, I haven't been doing that right, and uh, and uh, we, we have with a couple, and we have with and we haven't with some as well. The ones that we haven't and we've got no relationship with, it's frustrating to be honest. I'm just sort of like like what's going on? You know, it's very frustrating. But the ones that we have, we're like uh, the ones that we've like met in person and stuff. Even a couple of them. There's a relationship there. Like we know them and you and I were talking just before we um, got online, the benefit of having met people in person, you have a completely different context. That relationship is different. The way we communicate is different. So that's super, that's super, super important. Love that. Love that. And in our business, in our business, we very much encourage doing Zoom calls or or video chats. So, um, you know, getting on a video chat with your property manager at the property when they're doing the routine inspection, see the property, meet the property manager. You know, build that relationship and get to know the property, and and yeah, like what you said, goes. It's so true. Treat it like a business, and that they're part of your your team that's managing your investment portfolio. How often and how much should property investors engage with the property managers? Because I know that I know that most property investors are just like, leave me alone, don't talk to me. If they see an email coming in from their property manager, and they're like, oh, what's this? Another cost or something? Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's something, the light switch doesn't work, whatever. Um, you know, I know that. Like, I know that it's, and we all know that. And I'm not trying to um, proliferate that, um, but it's just it's just how it is. But how often and how much and in what way do you think property investors should be engaging with their property management team? Because a lot of people talk about property investment being like, a passive income strategy, and it's not. Like, it's not. If you want passive income, the closest thing that I think you can get to uh, is to invest in a high dividend uh, index stock, right? Where literally you don't have to do anything. There's no property management fees. You don't need to check on it. You just it just sits there, does its thing. It's not necessarily the best return, but it's kind of the most most passive that I can think of. Whereas property management, even if you go to let's say you end up with fifty properties, just just say, and you're just living off the property portfolio, 
it still requires work. Like you're still going to need to be checking in with your team and doing all that kind of stuff. And so what do you think is the ideal cadence and uh, mannerism that you think property investors should be engaging with their team? Should they have a monthly meeting? Should it be like once a quarter? Um, or how would you think about that if you could design the optimal scenario? I'd say optimal is um, step one is is with your property manager, have a meeting and set expectations. So do you like WhatsApp? Do you like email? Do you like phone calls? Like as the client, what do you want to get out of the property manager and what's your expectations? And I think setting those expectations straight away, do you want to be contacted for maintenance under a certain amount of money? How many quotes do you want per property? Do you want my advice? Setting those expectations straight away and and um, having an understanding of, of what you want out of the property manager and then delivering that's number one. Once that's done, I say once a quarter um, and I would review the routine inspection report. I would review when the lease is up um, and I would review um, what the rent is compared to what the market rent is and, and just the, how much maintenance, the, any outstanding maintenance. It's a 15 to 20 minute catch up once a quarter. Um, I think just to do a reset with your property manager, if there's anything that you want more out of your property manager, you can talk to them at that time as well. But if you have a once a quarter, 15 minute phone call with your property manager to review all of those things, um, that is sufficient um, in our business that we, we expect our property managers to be speaking to all of their property investors once a month, um, just to touch base and say hello and give them an update. Um, but it's up to the up to the client. Obviously, people have differing um, schedules. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the most underutilized benefits, I think, with property managers is actually the consolidation of all of the of all of the noise, for lack of a better term. And and I'd love to get your thoughts on this because uh, I think a lot of people miss it. One of the things that we do, Gabby and I do with our portfolio, is we redirect everything to the property managers. Rates, property manager, bills, like everything. We just want everything to go to the property manager. Part of the reason we do that is because what we want is at the end of the financial year, we want one statement that says where all the expenses have gone. Now, preferably, um, there's enough rent that can cover the cost of the bills. And if not, rather than paying the bill, we say, hey, let's we'll transfer some money into the trust account. Then you can pay it. We'll give you the money to pay it, right? But we still want all the payments to all come out of that one place. So then at the end of the year, we just have one clean statement. They go, oh, this is all the cost of the property. I think that is one of the biggest benefits that, that I can think of to consolidating, making that easeful because otherwise you get lost in, have I paid the rates? Where's the bill? Where's the notice? Just push, push it on once. What are your thoughts on that? And and you're also saving, you're saving a couple of hundred dollars an hour on accounting fees. Like if you don't do that, your accountant then is going to have to collate all that information um, and actually then lodge it all with the ATO, which, you know, they couple they charge a couple of hundred dollars an hour. If that's five hours of work, there's thousand dollars. There's there's your property management fees for the year. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great context. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's like how do you create value in the relationship rather than like uh, where's the expense lie? So I, I I really love that. So as a as a kind of like a specialist property manager, how do you think about adding value to properties? Like if someone's just bought a property for the very first time, what are some of the ways that you would guide a property investor, or what what are some of the things you think a property investor could look at in order to increase the value, increase the rent, like from the get go? How would you think about that? Yeah, so um, we have some really good relationships with tradespeople across our service areas, and we will go into a property and do an analysis on the property. So if it's a three bed one bath, and you get in, and the um, average rent could be five hundred for a three bed one bath, but 
average rent for a three bed two bath is seven fifty, and it costs you um, ten thousand dollars to put in that second bathroom. We would then look at that and go, well, over over twelve months, that's an extra two hundred dollars per week. You're getting a net increase on your rent of fifty dollars per week, and and you're paying off a new bathroom with the capital appreciation. So looking at what is desirable in the area new carpets new blinds aircon if there's capital appreciation plus you can get a substantial increase in rent we very much look at what's the most desirable rental property for a tenant in that area uh, and then we also look at timing of the year so you want you never want your lease finishing in late december right so a lot of a misconception is a lot of um, people think you have to do 12 month leases you don't you can do a 13 month lease a 14 month lease to finish it in peak season so is your is your um, property near a university and when does the when's this the most um, high demand time within that area and let's make sure the lease finishes at that time. Um, let's make sure that the property is the most desirable for the tenants so we can at the end of the day so we can maximize your rental yield and find the best quality tenants. Mm. Yeah, I love that. It's a really smart way of thinking about it. A lot of people don't talk about the um, odd size leases. Uh, to lend, as I know, because um, I'm a I'm a renter. I'm a, I'm a big believer in rent vesting. I love to try and rent when it's low season. So, for example, best time to sign a lease, uh, best time to sign a lease in Sydney is like June, July, right? So in in Bondi Beach, it's perfect, right? And so, um, even we just moved to Thailand, and I was man, I was frantic. I knew we were coming into peak season. I was trying to get a lease signed before we'd even moved to moved here because I was like, I want to I want to try and get that uh, get that benefit because you can leverage that to your advantage. Uh, when you when you when you think about the the value add stuff, so it's it's cool that you you think about it in that context of like how can we actually increase the value and how can we increase the rent, and then actually thinking about on the on a net return base, it's very easy for someone to say, oh yeah, just replace the carpets and just do a, spend a whole bunch of money. But to actually think about it with an investor mindset, it's like, well, here's the things that we could do and here's the gain that we would get by doing those specific activities. That's where again, that's a huge lever because like a lot of investors are thinking about that. I want to buy a property. They ask us, they're like, hey, what should we do? Should we should we add put new carpet in? And my response is whenever I speak to investors, which obviously I'm not I'm not uh, dealing with many of our clients these days. But when I do, it's it's like speak to your property manager. Because they're the ones that are gonna know what's gonna make the difference in that area specifically. And so I'd love to uh I'd love to know when you go through that process with a with an investor, do you then help manage that? Like do you do you meet the tradespeople there? Do you like how does that work from a sort of a project management perspective? Where is the line there? Yeah, no, we we will always take full responsibility for it. A lot of our clients are interstate, um, so that's that's part of our role is is coordinating the tradespeople to get the job done. Um, got some really good builders as well, so getting quite obtaining quotes and and delivering the work um, is a value add that we want to assist our clients with, and we're the ones with the relationships. Um, and typically can get some really good pricing as well because we're sending a lot of work to these traders, so they will typically look after us in pricing and make sure they do a really good job. That's awesome. I hope, I hope property investors are listening to this and really kind of sinking, letting this sink in because the financial upside of having somebody on your team who's specifically not only like a lot of people think, oh, property managers, what do they do? They just collect the rent. Ah, that's it. Anyone can collect the rent. It's like, well, you effectively have like you have a you have a a, a full time project manager effectively not actually full-time but like year-round project manager to to look after your property make sure you're getting the maximum amount around amount of rent if things need to happen they're going to be on hand to actually help to execute that and affect that which again if you're not local that's a huge that's huge and if you are local you don't want to spend the time doing it i think it's that's awesome 
you know, it's 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 massive. Um, yeah, are there any other kind of? Yeah, I was just going to say, starts with the wife. Starts with the wife for the for the landlord. Like, if you're going to spend twenty grand on a property to to freshen up, why and what's the what's the return and what's the goal out of doing that? Um, I think it's really important to always start with what's the desirable outcome and why are you trying to achieve that. Not just not just spending twenty grand because you think that's what you need to do. Um, it's actually looking at who's the who's the prospective tenant, how much are they going to pay, and what do we need to do to get the maximum return. If you start there and work backwards, I think you get the best result. Yeah, love that, love that. Is there anything else you think we should uh, we need to kind of dig into here that, that you think that um, it's going to be useful for investors to to be thinking about or to know? Um, no, I think that yeah. I, uh, the last one maybe um, cheap fees. Like you know, you've got you know people. You know, in Melbourne, the average fee is like four to five percent, and then in WA, it's uh, it's closer to ten percent. So it varies nationwide. Um, depending on the market, but the difference between six and eight percent is potentially three to four dollars, five dollars a week. Um, to have someone who actually can look after your property, I, I think that it's very much important to quality over quantity. And you know, the the increase in um, return that you'll get from having someone who protects your property and actually helps maximize the yield far outweighs the difference between a five dollar fee between six and eight percent. And a lot of people get you know, um, stuck on, oh, they're too expensive. But it's, you know, if you look at it per, in a dollar way, it's, it's a coffee a week. Yeah, 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 totally. And there's a huge benefit in paying a premium to get the best people. The caveat is you need to pay a premium to get the best people. If you just pay a premium and get yes. a dud, the then right, that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's, that's not good, right? That's, that's not the goal. That's it's the quite funny because I... I know it's quite funny. Gabby picks on me all the time because I have a um, you know, a, a heuristic as a mental shortcut. One of my one of the heuristics that I apply in my life is if it's more expensive, it means it's better. So, and it's not obviously it's not always true, but it's like if I'm looking at two products, I'll be like, well, that one's more expensive, so I'll buy the most expensive one just because in my mind that means it's better. Gabby's always picking on me because she's like, fucking idiot, it's not always true. It could just be more expensive. Um, so you've got to be mindful that you're not only just paying more money, but you're actually getting the the best. The best outcome, and it's that's actually like one of the secrets I think in uh, really rapid success. If you look at the most successful people, most successful businesses, in fact, there's this amazing um, kind of business thinker, marketing kind of dude. He called Jay Abraham. He always says, "Hire the best and cry only once." And what he means by that is, you hire the best. It's going to be expensive. You're probably going to be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe how much I'm paying this person." Now he's talking about executives where you might be paying them. Five, six, seven hundred thousand million dollar a year package or something like that. He said, but the benefit is you only got to do that one. You only got to cry once. The rest of the time is going to be awesome. Whereas if you take a cheaper route, you're going to probably cry multiple times. You're going to be like, this sucks. Isn't going to have to find something new, turnover. And same thing goes with property management. If you're just constantly chasing the cheapest deal, um, you're probably missing the point. Uh, and in fact, if you could hire a team, if you could have a whole team working for you, we got the best in the business in every in every corner of your uh, your ecosystem. How much better off would you be? How much faster would you go? Uh, and that's one of the, you said success leaves clues earlier. And that's one of the big ones that I've seen um, across business real estate, the, the whole the whole spectrum. We spoke about it when we caught up Richard Branson. Um, his three things is, is create a crystal clear vision, hire the best people in the world to execute it, and then get out of their way. I don't, I don't think it's too dissimilar to a, to a property investor is you're creating the vision for your property manager find the best property manager to deliver it and then let them do their job, move on. 
Hey, speaking of vision, I want to I want to turn the tables. I want to ask you some questions. So, uh, what, what's your vi- what's your vision? Like, why did you what like? Yeah, you started in March 2019, and you know, like, what's what's your vision with this? Like, what, what are you aiming to do? Because you're pretty young to be having this level of success. You know, you know, I'm not exactly old either, but like, you're younger than I am, and you've had a lot of success. I'm curious, what's what's motivating you? What's driving it? Like, what's your vision? Yeah, I'm loving the journey. Like, I I I find um a lot of passion. I say property management's like a puzzle with a missing piece. You can never finish it. <laughs> it's like, it's always challenging. It's stimulating. So for me, continuing to um, change the perception of property management, I'm really passionate about changing the perception of a property manager. You know, it's not it's not looked upon as an important role and it really is. Um, so really helping elevate the industry. And, and when people think about a property manager in years to come, I want them to think of a project manager you know, like if ultimately they are and they're managing a lot of different projects at once. So um, revolutionizing the property management industry, turning the ugly kid into the cool kid um, and continuing to continuing to add value to landlords. Why Why though? Like, what, like that sounds, I understand everything you've just said. Why? Like, why do you care about doing that? I surround myself with some really good people and I love, like I get a lot of energy out of people. So watching other people grow makes me really happy. And that's where I've, what I've noticed over the last 12 months is I've gone from managing the properties myself to growing a team. Um, watching someone in my business come in with no real estate experience and within 12 months manage a portfolio and make a substantial impact on their life, both financially and also with the freedom they've created themselves, um, that's my passion and I, I get so much joy out of it. We've just opened a Gold Coast office and um, a guy called Nick DeRosa started 12 months ago um, and now has 200 managements on the Gold Coast and just got elected as BDM of the year. Watching his journey and coaching him and helping him grow, um, it, that's pretty special to me. How have you had to grow over the last four and a half, uh, nearly five years? How, what's been the biggest change? Yeah, what's been the biggest What's been the biggest area that you've had to grow in order to get to where you are today? It's a really good question. You didn't tell me you were going to ask me this one, Goose. No, I know. I decided to. I knew you did some prep, and I wanted to let you get all your prep stuff out of the way. And then I start Shanghai you with the good questions. Now the real stuff. Um, le- leadership, understanding that um, everyone has different um, drivers in their life. You know, like I'm a young male with no kids, um, with no real responsibilities day to day. So for me, work starts at five a.m. and finishes at ten p.m. and I love every minute of it. I need to understand that as our business grows, not everyone has the same priorities and everyone and, and other people have families they've got to report to. So um, probably my expectations of the team um, and just as a leader, like just help everyone's got their own goals and, and helping others achieve their goals, not achieve my goal. Um, I think it's been it's something I've need, needed to learn and, and also just, you know, um, a lot of emotional in. Um, maturity and growing as a human being. I think the more you grow as an individual, the more your business grows naturally. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? The 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 level that any business grows is limited specifically by the ability of founder or the leader to grow. Right. And I see so percent agree with so many businesses that get capped at whatever it is, could be one million, two million, ten million, but they just they they get to a ceiling and they're like they can't grow past it. And one hundred percent of the time I've like, oh, it's because Usually I'm talking to the owner or whatever, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's because you stopped growing. They're like, what do you mean? <laughs> Think about it. You know, like, 
Like unless you continuously feel like you're becoming a new person, you're probably not growing quickly enough. One hundred percent. And I think that's that. Pro- like that's why this industry is so challenging, and it it forces you to grow. Like it actually is forcing me to continue to grow to make sure that we keep up with our growth. Yeah. So, what's your vision for the next five years for you for the business? Like, just t- talk to me about that in whatever context you want. Yeah. Um, from um, personal level, is um, business provides freedom. Um, so continue to like. Like I, I always say, I, I feel very lucky to be in the position I'm in, um, and I'm young. Um, I've got a really successful business. I'm having a lot of fun. I just want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy the ride and enjoy the journey and keep doing what I'm doing. Like I get to work with people I enjoy working with. I get to travel when I want to travel, um, live where I want to live. Like doesn't really get much better. And I think a lot of people are chasing something more. Um, for the next five years, like this is the prime time. Just keep what I'm doing, what I'm doing, and be the best version of myself. Um, and just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to look back in my, um, when I'm older and, and, and go, why did I wish those years away when they were the best years of your life? Um, bis- bis- business is, is, um, very service driven and it's continuing to provide the best, um, service, continue to innovate. We've got some really exciting initiatives that we've got in the, in the pipeline. For example, we're building a tenant concierge. So our tenants can contact us from 7 a.m. till 9 p.m. every day. Um, and every call's answered within three rings. So building out initiatives like this week, we're going keyless. So we want to have electronic locks on every property. So we never need a key again. And and um, we can open, you, there's a really cool app that you can open open the door remotely so we can start managing more properties and, and, and tradies don't have to come to the office to collect keys. Um, so some really cool initiatives um, to be able to elevate the service levels and also just the industry. You love it. It's an interesting thing about service businesses. I really like service businesses because the success of the business is directly linked to your ability to serve others and to give them and to create value for other people. Now, all businesses, in some degree, like business would exist unless it created value or provided value. Like a tire company still has to provide decent tires and whatever. But in service businesses, it's more personal. Like it's like, it's like human to human. How are we improving your life? You know, and and I and the success of the business is directly correlated to your ability to create those transformational outcomes for the clients. And uh, and just a little uh, little side note: we always say clients, not customers. And and I think it's a really um, important distinction. And, and I'm not sure what terminology you you use, but the the real there's a reason that we're really dogmatic about it in in Dashtop, and it's because a customer is is transactional. It's it's uh, any individual that purchases a good or a commodity from another person is a customer. Whereas the definition of a client is somebody is a sorry is a person who is under the custodianship of another, which is very different. And so then when you think about the relationship between you and your clients, it's like every single one of these people, every single one of my clients, they're they're under my custodianship. I am here to be their sword and their shield and their protector on this path that they've chosen me to be on. It becomes really wildly interesting, and then so you know if you're if you're a service driven, impact driven person, which it sounds like you are, because you just talked about the the thing that you you are enjoying most about this is the fact that you get to see other people grow and the impact you're having on people. That that means you're that means you're extrinsically driven because you're like I'm I'm getting so much enrichment because I'm get to see what happens to all the other people. That means you, you've got that extrinsic driver, um, which is probably why you've got such a, a successful service based business because that gets to flow through into all aspects of the business. That's super cool. Super cool. Really cool. For all the listeners, can I throw it on the, uh, can I ask you what your vision is over the next five years, Goose, personally? Yeah, absolutely. You can ask me any questions as you want. In fact, I enjoy it when <laughs> uh, guests on the podcast ask me questions as well. It's great. <laughs> um, so 
So we have a um, really interesting uh, opportunity uh, in front of us. And here's the, here's the thing about businesses. When they start, the vision is not what it is. Like very few businesses start with a very clear vision of what it is going to be the end in mind. When we started Dashdot, we were like, man, wouldn't it be cool to help 10 people? Like that was as big as it got, right? And then it was like, man, imagine if, imagine if we could grow to the business to like a million dollars in revenue. Wow. I mean, like, so you have these kind of like, you know, short term and potentially not very deep uh, goals. And you also see this with um, like, let's just take Uber as an example. You know, Uber's mission uh, is to make uh, transport as accessible as running water or something like that. That was not the vision of Uber when it started. The vision of Uber when it started was like, you know, to be sick. If we could just press a button on our phones and get a black car to come and pick us up anywhere in town, that'd be sick, right? So the thing is like the the vision continues to evolve and change. So we have a few things that we are really looking at deeply, deeply, deeply looking at um, in our business today. So on the one hand, we have a uh, we have a mission to help 5,000 people achieve financial security by 20, 2033. What that translates to is roughly 5,000 people with five properties each. So we'll help more than 5,000 people over that journey, but that's, that's a big, that's 25,000 properties spread across 5,000 individuals, which is, which is chunky. Um, but bigger than that, we actually have uh, a mission to transform the way the world invests, which is big. That's kind of like 20, 30, 40 year kind of goal. And in between those two things, I think that we have an opportunity to redefine the relationship that Australia has with real estate. And I think that we can do that in a multi-pronged way because there's no there's no one that is there's no companies that are doing what we're doing for the reasons that we're doing it. And so we're looking to expand in ways that enhance our capability to serve people more deeply. Um, and there's a few projects that we're looking to do on that front, but we're looking to make property investment more accessible to people. Um, there's a few ways we're thinking about doing that. Uh, one of those. Uh, yeah, well, I won't. I won't mention it just because it's a little early. But we are looking at ways that we can effectively start to democratize property investing and and help more people get access to build wealth. It's a fundamental belief that we have that the greatest impact and change you can make on a society is by elevating the standards of affluence within any commu- within any community. Because the flow on effect is all of the other things that you see that bring the benefits. It's the education, it's the water, it's the health, the it's all these other kind of things that happen that stem from that. So if you can change that, you can change everything. And so. Um, very much now we've transgressed and it has been for some time now but we've transgressed into a place where the thrill the fulfillment the 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 mission and the 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 passion of the business is driven by our missional focus and impact um which is the thing that's really exciting to me because somebody asked me the other day uh if if i had a billion dollars if somebody just put a billion dollars in my bank account today like what would i do would I, you know, and it's a really good question. I'd love to ask you this question. What would you do if you suddenly had a billion dollars in the bank here? Now, most people, it doesn't matter what they're doing, would would say something that is different to what they're currently doing. It doesn't really matter what they're doing, right? They could be an accountant. Maybe they've got their own business, whatever. But it'd usually be something else. Now, they could be wrong. There are other things that I would like to do. Um, but 100% of them are all based on impact. I was actually talking to Gabby about this at dinner last night. It's like, okay, well, I'd do more things that would allow me to have more impact on people in different ways. So I'd love to do some stuff in um, in uh, healthcare. I'd love to do some stuff in um, for environmental benefit and some other stuff like that. It's all people-based and coaching and some other things like that. And then I actually, because Gabby and I were talking about this at dinner last night, and I said, but this is also the reason that I love Dashdot so much because the thing that we do is we're having a direct impact. And so the thing that I would do if I had a billion dollars is have impact. I was like, well, I get to do that. We get to do that every single day. 
So that's the thrust and the driver uh, for me. And that's also why we, we thrive on growth because the more that we grow means the more that we're helping people, the more people we're helping. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's how I think about it. Love it. Love it. It's the, the biggest, um, when we caught up, the biggest takeaway I took from our catch up was when we talked about holidays. Do you remember that? Yeah. And, and, and when you said, um, if you, if you work to need to take a holiday, then you're not living the life that you probably could live. And, and if you build, build a life that you don't need to take a holiday from, because the biggest, yeah. I think it's, I think it's sad when people need to take a holiday to escape. It's all well and good to go and take some time off and have a bit of a recharge and, and whatever and go and explore places. But most people don't like what they're doing and they live for the time they get to get away from the thing that they are doing. They spend most of their time doing and they escape for a holiday or whatever. So how do you build a life that you don't need to take a holiday from? Um, yeah, that's powerful. It's a good, it's a good philosophy. It's a good philosophy to live by. So, yeah, cool. Jonathan, it's been good. Great to have you on. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, good. Thank you. No worries. Anyone listening to this, if you do have a property in Southeast Queensland and you are looking for property management, look up Housemark. They specialize in the Brisbane, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast now as well. Yeah, we've got, yeah, Sunny Coast. Yeah. So if you're in that kind of nick of the woods, uh, reach out and have a chat with Housemark as well. We have no affiliation, by the way, just for the benefit of everyone on this. I just think that what um, what Jonathan and his team are doing is, is great. And so wanted to create the opportunity to to dig in and learn and, and see what tidbits we can get. And uh, I'm sure this has been valuable for the listener. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate having you on. Thanks so much, guys. See you, sir.